Good morning, Hillsdale, and to all our listeners joining us via on our online pages, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all that. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. My name's Ben Dietrich. And I'm Alex Nestor. And we're at CPAC 2020. Once again, this is our second day here. It is Friday, uh, February 28th. And um, we have quite a busy day planned for us. In just this next hour, uh, we hope to talk with Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and maybe, maybe even Donald Donald Trump Jr. It should be an exciting next couple of hours, folks, so make sure you stay with us. This is a special edition of American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. So, Alex, you had a lot of interviews yesterday. What were some of the highlights from your day? Yeah, so, and I've mentioned this before, I talked about it a lot yesterday, but I got to interview Nigel Farage, and that went really well. We had a lot of updates from uh, this time last year when we were at CPAC. Um, for those of, uh, for our listeners um, who might not know, uh, the UK left the EU uh, just over a month ago. If you haven't, you should listen to Ben's and my um, episode on that. And where can they find that? They can find that on SoundCloud. That's right. And on our Twitters. SoundCloud.com slash Radio Free Hillsdale. You can also check out Alex on Twitter. At Alex Nestor 2020. I got to start remembering that one. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's been such an exciting day. Pre- Vice President Pence spoke yesterday. He had a great speech. We're going to play some of that now to talk about it. Um, the theme at this year's CPAC conference, America versus Socialism, it's been in full throttle. One of my favorite moments yesterday was talking with Charlie Kirk, one of the uh, oh, yeah. leaders of, for young conservatives. Um, he leads, of course, Turning Point USA, uh, which, you know, I think people have mixed feelings about. But I encourage you, regardless of what you think of TPUSA, to, to go ahead and take a listen to that interview. Because honestly, I think Charlie's right a lot about a lot of things. He has a good grasp of what it's like on so many other college campuses outside Hillsdale and the struggles that they have just to allow themselves to voice the opinions that might not be, you know, the status quo around there, what the majority of college students feel. You know, even on our way here a couple days ago, we sat next to some students uh, from schools like that, and they were members of Turning Point USA. Turning Point had flown them out to this event, and for them, Turning Point was a way that they could you know, express themselves, express their political views, and allow them opportunities to develop those views, which you know, at Hillsdale, maybe we can do that freely, but other places, that's just not the case, and that's one of the themes that we're really seeing. Uh, it's been very much so in focus. The other one, of course, is socialism and how now we're not just dealing with a moderate left, a Democratic Party where, you know, I think I think it was Charlie who said this. There was a time in which people would say, well, we all want the same thing in the end. We just have different ways to get there. But it seems that more and more today, uh, as people want to embrace socialism, want to embrace identity politics, they are advocating for a replacement of the very system that America makes America America, mm-hmm. whether it's abolishing the Electoral College, which we spoke with Hans von Spakowski about. I said it right yesterday. <laughs> uh, it's not an easy name to pronounce. You can listen to that interview. Great one. He's from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're talking to him or, you know, talking to others about this, but th- there are so many structural changes. And when people honestly believe that America is fundamentally racist, it just becomes so hard to have conversations with them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that is certainly true, Ben. And I think uh, to Charlie Kirk's point yesterday when he said that, um, you know, we all want the same things in the end, or at least it used to be that way. I, I truly don't know if people necessarily want the same things in the end. You know, uh, do people like Bernie Sanders think that his plans can really work? And do you think that they can actually uh, you know, bring everyone free, everything for all time. Um, and if those plans don't work, then what's going yeah. to be the result or, of them? Or, or does he just want power? Which or does he want power? Else. Exactly but, right. You know, there, there are, there is a valid opinion out there that for some, maybe not anything Sanders, especially among young people, mm-hmm. that they might actually believe in this stuff. But for the old, it's even harder to understand. Bernie is one of the people where I think it's it's so hard to understand how somebody who has seen literally what it's like in the Soviet Union, who's seen the bread lines, can go out there and say, yeah, that's a good thing. Well, he <laughs> did get know. kicked out of his uh, commune, so I don't yeah, know exactly. Yeah, what's but the story there? But, hey, let's hear from Vice President Pence as he talks about how America will never become a socialist country. This is American View, our special edition, coming to you from National Harbor in Maryland, just outside Washington, D.C. I'm Ben Dietrich. And I'm Alex Nestor. Here's Vice President Mike Pence yesterday. And so as the Democratic Party seeks to nominate and embrace the failed policies of socialism, we must renew our resolve in this year, 2020. As the president said one year ago, America will never be a socialist country. Wow. You know, he gets a standing ovation for that line. The, the theme, as we said, you know, America versus socialism, that has really been riling people up. And the rise of Bernie Sanders came at just the right time for this, for this conference. Let's go ahead and hear some more from Mike Pence as he continues to talk about what the future of America will look like and how obviously it won't be socialist, but these are the things that the administration is going to do. But I have confidence. This rising generation is a generation that that increasingly every day embraces life and liberty. It's a freedom-loving generation. I mean, people that can hear a song downloaded on their phone 10 seconds later, they like freedom. (laughs) And that's who we have to speak to. I want to challenge each and every one of you, particularly the young people among us, to go out and talk to your neighbors and friends. Talk at school and at work. Tell them about the choice that we have. Tell them it's a choice between freedom and socialism. And tell them we have a freedom-loving president of the United States of America. Ladies and gentlemen of CPAC 2020, President Donald Trump, I can tell you, is the real deal. He's a man who says what he means and means what he says. He never quits. He never backs down. He's never stopped fighting to keep the promises that he made to all of you. And now it's our turn to fight for him. 
it's on. Another standing ovation mm -hmm. for the vice president there. I just get goosebumps when yeah. I hear that. You know, uh, the as, fight as, is on. The fight is on. We'll continue to hear Vice President Pence here yesterday at CPAC. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge all of you and any that might be looking on in every day that remains between now and Election Day this November. Keep bringing this same level of enthusiasm. Keep bringing your support. Keep telling your neighbors and your friends at worship and at work everything that we've accomplished. And keep the faith. Keep faith in this distinctly American president who embodies the rugged individualism and optimism that has always characterized this nation. Keep faith in our fellow Americans and that this generation that's rising today loves liberty and freedom every bit as much as every American generation that has come before. What, what a speech yesterday. And, you know, there are some lines there where he talks about how this generation, because, you know, we have iPhones, we love to download our music, we're on social media all the time. We live in an age in which so much things that were at one time were considered luxuries are so easily accessible. For us young people, we, we have to appreciate and understand that this stuff did, you know, didn't happen by accident, that our system, our economic system that has allowed us to live in this material prosperity was not something that, you know, could have just happened in the feudal period either. That the, the, you know, capitalism and democracy and the, this republic have really come as a result of something great. Exactly. And, and you put these people in, uh, you can put different people in different systems, but what's true all the time is that the systems right. that work for freedom are the ones All right, that joining us now. Good to see you. Good to see you. Pleasure. Hi, nice to meet you. Right here, right? Yes, sir. All right. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is joining us right now. This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Uh, Congressman McCarthy, thank you for joining us once again. Thank you. You interviewed me last time, right? Yes, at Mackinac Island. Mackinac, yeah. That was Beautiful a Beautiful place to be. It is, and you know, a lot's happened since then. The last time we talked, we were talking impeachment, whether or not it was going to happen, and it happened. Yep. You made it through it. We made it through strong, but it, it just shows the Democrats have nothing else to do. Their whole majority is wasted on impeachment. When the American public wants to see something different, they want to see the prescription drug price lower. They want to see an infrastructure program. They want to see that we rebuild this country. Now, this president has done such a tremendous job in helping rebuild this country, and now we have a challenge coming from China, not economically, but a coronavirus. And what do the Democrats do? They play politics with it instead of putting the safety of our constituents first. Yeah. Alex, what did, what did House Minority Le or Majority Leader Pelosi say, or the Speaker, I'm sorry? Yeah, so uh, Pelosi, I believe, yesterday or perhaps the day before, said that Trump's response by um, appointing um, Pence as like the head of the uh, coronavirus, anti-coronavirus, what have you. She said it was an anemic response to this. What do you think about that? Was it... That, that's, pure, that's pure politics. And, and take, for instance, let's have an example. When Ebola was in, mm -hmm. Republicans were in the majority and they had a different administration. You know what you heard from me? Let's work together. 
Let's cut the red tape to make sure we can stop this problem. And let's work together to put the funding forward. They are using every political thing they can. And we've seen this before. They can't beat them, so they want to attack them. And they're using now coronavirus to do it. So that's how they bash them. Um, but that's where it hurts the American public. The president has done some very smart moves early on where he stopped the flights from China coming to America. People wanted to criticize for him. That was very forward-looking. The other thing that you found, though, is we have been building the NIH, National Institute of Health, and the CDC, Centers for Disease and Control. We've been funding them. We've almost funded them an extra $40 billion in the last five years for those Republicans in the majority. And you know what we created? We created the Infectious Disease Rapid Response Fund preparing ourselves for what we're actually going through today. That's what we've been doing. And here are the Democrats just trying to play politics. So on, on that subject, are you at all concerned? I mean, it's got to be hard to balance the, the fact that you're going to lose a lot of economic growth by banning these flights, by shutting down flights. And, and people have talked about the fact that it might be necessary later on, it might be prudent to cancel more flights from all these other countries now that are getting infected with coronavirus. How do you, as a leader in Congress, balance those two things, economic growth and obviously the safety of the American people? You always want to have economic growth, but most importantly, the safety of our country comes first. If you, don't, if you are not secure in wealth and, and, and from a standpoint of health, Wealth is second notch yeah. to that. But the one thing I will say, there's an ability to do both. Listen to your scientists. Listen to your doctors. Do the things to protect. Because the first thing you want to do is try to contain it to China before it comes. The real problem we have is she was not honest with the American public. It started in November. They weren't letting the American researchers, scientists, and doctors in that we could able to do this. The next thing I would do is cut any red tape to help us get a vaccine as fast as possible. We've got the best healthcare system, the brightest minds, unshackle them and let us go solve it. Now I want to go back to the, the question of politicization. Pelosi, of course, you've dealt with her a lot on uh, issues that have been hyper-politicized lately. What does that do to the relationships in Congress? I mean, you just went through a really political impeachment. And then now, of course, you have this coronavirus thing as well. How do you manage to work at all together when it seems as though things are more divided than they have been in the last 50 years. You know, it's really sad because here, here you have um, a window of opportunity where, where we're in probably some of the best times this country has seen in the last 50 years. And it's just because of sheer politics. You know, Alexander Hamilton warned us this day would come that the animosity would be so strong that someone would use impeachment just because of the dislike. And that's what Nancy Pelosi has done. When she said she would be different, the majority would be different. And what I think will happen here at the end of the day, when you look to November, there'll be a change in the majority inside Congress. And the promise that we will make to you, if we are given the trust to be in the majority, our focus would be on this country first. It'd be country, it'd be, we'd put people before politics, we'd focus on the country. And what's interesting is when you watch Nancy Pelosi, she's the first one to blame America instead of stand for America. Yeah. That's concerning to me. So well, They commend about the communism without... I, I just don't understand it when they commend communism, but they won't defend you, uh, democracy. So do you think that this rise of socialism in the Democratic Party, is this real? Is this going to be here to stay through November? I mean, are we going to see Bernie Sanders be the nominee? You don't even have to wait till November. Think of this. The new freshman class, the AOCs, the Tlaib, the Omar, they don't call themselves Democrats. They call themselves Socialist Democrats. More than half of them not just support, but co-sponsor Medicare for All, the taking away of your private health insurance. 
if anybody complains that Bernie Sanders from the Democrat are, is the nominee, there's a reason why. Because this is no longer the Democratic Party. It's the Socialist Democratic Party. They, ha- they have surrendered to the Socialists already. How, That's why he's going to win the nomination. How, how did the moderate Democrats feel in the House about this? I mean, you already got one there, to come over to the Republicans, right? There's hardly any left wow. because um, the Socialists have taken over. That's, that's incredible. So moving forward, I mean, what are, what are the Democrats trying to do? I mean, what's their next move in Congress? Are they going to impeach him again? I mean, You know what? If you listen to Swalwell, you listen to Adam Schiff, that's exactly what they're going to do because that's the only thing they know how to do. That's, that's insane. Do you think that this impeachment, uh, perhaps going forward, has set a new lower bar for um, people going forward for future presidents? Yes, it, it has harmed our entire country. The one promise I will make, that we will never utilize this as a majority in the Republicans. So even you if got, there's you, a, a no, President Sanders... You've got to have a standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone has to meet that standard but at, before you would ever use impeachment. They used it for p- pure political will. And that is wrong. That harms the entire country. And I think the country realizes that. If they were to be able to keep the majority, they would just do it again. Now, the theme this year is America versus socialism. Vice President Pence had a message for young people yesterday on that regards. What message do you have for all the young people that are here at CPAC and the students back home at Hillsdale College as well? There's a difference between America and socialism. Name me one socialist communist country that ever had people craving to get into it but set people risking their lives and giving their lives to leave it. America is more than a country. America is an idea, an idea of freedom, of self-governance, an idea of the ability to rise to wherever you want to do based upon your hard work, the idea of the freedom of speech and others. The strength of America is our belief, the belief of rule and law, of the rule of law. It could make people, shipyard workers in Poland, rise up. It could make people walk out into Tiananmen Square. It could make them in Hong Kong stand in the rain for the idea of America. But go to Venezuela, Cuba, the Soviet Union, people rushing over, being shot at, leaving their country to gather and grab that hand of liberty. It is a really clear, clear contrast, and never in the political history of America would you have a greater contrast and a greater challenge to the next century of America, and this will be the vote this November. I I couldn't agree more with you there, uh, Leader McCarthy. I hope the next time we talk, it'll be majority leader or... Let's go with speaker. Speaker, that's cool too. Hey, thank you so much. And that was House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. All right, wow. That was great speaking to him again. So well spoken. Yeah, I so loved, well spoken. I loved his line that he um, he said that Republicans would never um, stoop to the level of perhaps in, you know in, impeaching someone like a, a President Sanders. So I, I'll hold him to that. Except you yeah. know if Sanders tries anything with the whole Green New Deal, um, I think that might be grounds for yeah. impeachment. What do you think? Uh, yeah, we'll have to see. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I, you know, I don't think it's going to pass. That's the thing. You know. You can submit crazy legislation. You can submit unconstitutional legislation. You don't impeach somebody over that because, because you think that their policies are crazy. Because I guess they feel, the Democrats feel, like we do about the Green New Deal, mm-hmm. about Trump's travel ban True. on Muslims. You know, and they're not, it's not exclusively on Muslims. I shouldn't even use their talking points. You see, they're ingrained into me, Alex. It's terrible. <laughs> you know, they're knocking on our heads The every liberal media has oh gotten gosh, to you, Oh, my gosh, the ben. liberal media. It's in your head. None of that around here, though, right now. It looks like uh, I, we, we, I think Gordon Chang, he has a quick message for us. I'm sorry. 
Um, I think he might be coming on and joining us soon. We're going to find out about that as, as this happens. But we got a couple minutes left here you know, before we go. We're going to be back, though, shortly, and we have more interviews to come. You know, the best is yet to come, as, uh, <laughs> as our president loves to say. We might be hearing from his son soon. Donald Trump Jr. may very well be stopping by uh, in the next 20 minutes. We're going to hear from uh, Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers from my home state of Washington. So much more to come on this day. It's been a busy weekend, folks, and we're so excited to have you with us. Um, you know, tomorrow President Trump speaks, and I'm so excited to hear him address this crowd because this is the biggest CPAC I think we've had yet. We're going to also hear from Matt Schlapp as well. Mm -hmm. And this CPAC, it's been sold out every day. They've got risers in the back. This is the biggest ballroom in Washington, D.C., our, our nation's capital. To fill this place up, I mean, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. The media row, I mean, the media is packed down the line. And uh, we have to go now, but when we come back... We're going to have Kathleen Morris Rogers with us. This is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Hello and welcome back to our coverage here at CPAC 2020. This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. And here with us right now is one of my favorite uh, congresswomen in America. It's Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers of Washington State, my home state. Thank you for joining us, Congresswoman hey, Rogers. Thank you. Great to be with Hillsdale College again. Absolutely. Well, the honor is ours. And I, I understand that you are at CPAC today on a panel, and you talked about, or you are talking about China and how socialism, if we embrace it here, that could threaten our you know, ability to combat China um, and the threats that they pose. Uh, it, it is true. When you think about some people in America that are promoting socialism, running for president, promoting socialism, members of Congress on the House floor promoting socialism, Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, you know, all of those policies basically are a government takeover of our economy and it will make us weaker, less free, and it will threaten our standing in the world. Right now we are the world leader and we are in a race with China. China has a very different approach than America. America has been our foundation is one founded upon freedom and free markets and, yeah. and freedom-loving people that have raised people out of poverty and raised the standard of living. And China right now is using uh, their tools, using technology to surveil on their citizens, to suppress minorities, uh, to uh, damper any individual rights, and especially the freedom fighters in Hong Kong. 
Absolutely. You know, it's funny because when you hear the Democrats in the House talk, all they seem to want to talk about when it comes to foreign policy is Russia. Uh, what, what do they think about the threat of China, especially the ones that claim and identify themselves as socialists? Right. Well, they, they need to be looking at China. Uh, the race for 5G, the race uh, for AI, artificial intelligence, that is our future. And as I just mentioned, China does not respect individual rights, individual liberty. And, that, and so as you think about our futures, you think yeah. about technology, it is so important that we are leading, that America is setting the standard and, in, and in, in ensuring that other countries follow our leadership. And that's what Donald Trump, President Donald Trump has led when he took a hard stand on China. Yeah. You know, he, he's saying you need to play by the rules that we have agreed to international as it relates to technology. How, how do you balance that national security aspect with economic growth? I mean, we make so much stuff in China for yes. better or probably for worse. Right. Well, and they have been stealing our technology. And Donald Trump is saying you have to respect our intellectual property. You have to play by the, the rules of the road, right? Or things are going to change. But, you know, I want to give people hope that Ronald Reagan beat the Soviet Union yeah. using American values. It was free enterprise and a strong national defense, and that's what we need. We need a modern uh, approach that will ensure that it's American leadership. But this is, it's all connected because to be a diplomatic power, you have to be a military power. To yeah. be a military power, you have to be an economic power. So all of this is connected to American leadership. What, what do you think of the president's trade deal uh, that he's negotiated with China? Do you plan well, on voting for it? I, the first part. Uh, I, I do support what he is doing. It, it, the tariffs have been tough. It is a change in approach, but we needed President Trump, we needed an administration to be tough to defend American intellectual property and American entrepreneurs and startups. So do you think America's reliance on trade with China might be perpetuating or, or uh, making worse the, the coronavirus problem at this point? Well, we're, we are certainly uh, urging China, uh, impressing upon China that they need to be more transparent mm -hmm. about what is going on. There's not confidence that they are really being uh, uh, transparent as far as where the coronavirus has started, how many individuals may be uh, uh, battling the coronavirus right now. Uh, and, and clearly this is having a huge impact on the entire world and a lot of products that we get from China and the travel in and out of China. And, and it's, uh, it's, it is a significant impact on America. So and then also, of course, you're running for re-election in 2020. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Um, what message do you have for Washingtonians back home, for all the friends that I'm sure we both have back in Spokane? Mm -hmm. You know, what promises, you know, the, the, the slogan is promises made, promises kept of, right. of Donald Trump. And obviously your work in the House has been a big part of that. What promises do you have for the future of your, you know, the House? What, what do you think Republicans should get done and you would get done if, if reelected? Right. Well, the promise for the future is to build upon the foundation that has been laid. And it's a foundation that has resulted in 7.5 million new jobs in America. Uh, record job growth in Spokane County, in eastern Washington. Rages, wages have increased. In Spokane County, the average annual wage has increased 15000 in the last three years. 
that that is a huge that's a huge impact on the individual. There's a hope and an optimism that a, a job brings you. A job is the best anti-poverty program. It's the best housing program. It's the best healthcare program. And we have, we have record job creation in Eastern Washington. And the number of people that are coming off of the sidelines to get those jobs, there is a hope and an optimism for an opportunity for a better life. And we want to keep that going. Um, as far as what happens next, America has to win the future. America has to continue to lead. America has been leading in the world and doing it with the American way, which honors, which celebrates freedom and encourages free enterprise and and honors individual rights and individual liberty. And so that's the approach that we need to take when it comes to leadership around energy, uh, a clean energy future and what that looks like, health care. Ensuring that people can so afford quality, you, affordable health care. You, you mentioned clean energy. I mean, yes. Congressman Crenshaw has uh, proposed some conservative, uh, conservative legislation to, to that matter. What do you think about his ideas on you know reducing carbon by you know taking the carbon out of the air and all that? I know that I know there's talk among conservatives now yes. that we should address climate change. What are well, your thoughts? Well, I, I think I think we 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 do need to be good stewards. And we need to be embracing new technology, new innovation that will lead towards a clean energy future. And it's interesting to note, in the last 10 years, so in 2009, in 2009, the House Democrats under Speaker Pelosi passed cap and trade, uh, Waxman-Markey, the legislation for cap and trade. It never passed the Senate. But their projections over a 10-year period as to reducing carbon emissions and what it would cost on energy rates. We have exceeded, we have brought down carbon emissions more than they predicted in 10 years ago by using American ingenuity, American technology. We're leading the world yeah. in bringing down it's carbon so emissions. It's so true, and I, I, I can't agree more. Um, so that all said, would you say that you agree that even you know, even though we might not agree on the solutions to climate change, do you agree that climate change is an, is an issue or that global well, warming I think, exists? I think I, clearly we're seeing the climate change. And as much as we, as individuals, are having an impact on that, carbon emissions, there's, uh, I, I think that we have a, 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 a responsibility in being good stewards to look at how do we bring down those carbon emissions. But it, again, it's American technology, American industry that is leading the world. No, we're reducing our carbon emissions more than any other country in yeah. the world. So unlike plans like the Green New Deal, which would have complete government takeover of so many things, you're saying that um, just by having a capitalist uh, system, free market system, that we're able to accomplish some of these goals with that American ingenuity. Yeah, we're we're beating uh, the plans that were put in place by the same people that are promoting the Green New Deal, right? They, they, they They like to talk about plans. We're, we're focused on results, right? Yeah. We're focused on actually those things and using, using the creativity and the ingenuity of the individual and, and recognizing that individuals want to be, you know, we want to do, be good stewards. We want to make, we want to have strong families and strong communities. And, 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 and having a government takeover of our economy a top-down approach, it doesn't get the results. So I gotta let you go soon, but I do wanna ask you, what message do you have for young people here at CPAC? Um, There's a lot of young conservatives here who are gonna be the future of this party and hopefully of the country. My message to young, young people today is, is the message of hope and optimism that America has brought the entire world. It's we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, 
you know, it is, it's been the people of the United States believing in the, in the, the power of the individual to impact people's lives that has raised the standard of living higher than any other country in the world. Yeah. That we have, we have reduced poverty. 2.5 million people lifted out of poverty in the last three years. It has been America's values and principles that have led the world, uh, that have uh, been a beacon of hope and freedom to people all over the world. And that that's going to be the, the future that, gives, that continues to ensure that more people have more opportunities. Congresswoman Rogers, thank you so much once again for joining us. I truly wish you all the best of luck uh, this come fall. Thank you. Great to be with both of you. Absolutely. That was Congresswoman Kathy McMorris Rogers. Um, we just spoke here on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Thank you again. Have a good day. And what a, a, a fine a stateswoman you have there. I, what did you think, Alex? This is the first time you ever met her, right? Yeah, this is the first time I've met her. And I really like her point. It's something that um, I personally have thought for quite some time is that it is American ingenuity and American entrepreneurs. That's going to be the solution to climate change and to pollution and things like of that nature. It's not going to be a top-down government approach where they think they can you know, take all of our money and all of our resources and arrange it um, in the way they see fix. Yeah. It's going to be by individual creative Americans that are allowed to flourish based on our free market system. You know, in that point, I find very interesting the fact that when we asked her to address, you know, do you acknowledge climate change? I've got that kind of in my head right now because conservatives are in a really tough, tough spot, I think. Because when you are asked that, the way that you're asked that, uh, the they want you to not only accept climate change, but also accept all of their policies. And when they say climate change is man-made, that can mean, you know, a whole, they can be very extreme in what they mean, they think that means. I mean, to acknowledge that CO2 emissions are causing the planet to, to warm, or that that theory seems like very likely to be a real thing, is very different. It's very different than simply... Um, wanting to embrace policies like the Green New Deal. Now, though, we're going to go to Stefan Kleinhens. He's here with Todd Starnes. Stefan, take it away. Ben, it's an honor to be back here on your show. Thank you for letting me fill in here. And, Absolutely. Uh, I'm here with someone I, w I would like to say a good friend of mine, a good mentor of mine, Todd Starnes. Wow, so you're admitting to this. Absolutely, and, All right, and publicly. I'm publicly admitting to it. <laughs> wow, can we get this on the record? <laughs> I think we're recorded right now. You know, Todd, I've, we've known each other now for, what, three, four years maybe, and you've, you've really you know, guided me in this journey through journalism, and I really appreciate that. Um, and we're going to get into that, what journalism is today and, and what it looks like. But let's start with the 2020 election. That's fun. Let's have some fun here. Todd, what does the primary field look like right now, and what are your general thoughts? Oh, geez, Alou. Uh, this is, uh, it is a fascinating uh, look at what's happening in American politics right now now, Stefan. Um, we are facing what I think is going to be a heavyweight championship battle in November, socialism versus capitalism. And when you look at the Democrat Party and when you look at all the candidates up there at the at the debates, you got to give Bernie Sanders credit. I mean, yeah, the guy is slap crazy, but at least, you know, he's honest. Uh, he's telling you exactly what he believes. The problem is the others believe the same thing Bernie Sanders believes, but they're they're not willing to admit it or they're framing that argument in a very different sort of um, uh, secretive way. 
So, um, again, I think no matter who wins the, the Democrat nomination, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure the eventual nominee is actually in the race yet. Oh, we're going to get into that, Todd. That sounds like uh, fun. That's a tease. That sounds like uh, fun. That's a tease, uh, Stefan. Um, I'm not sure who that person is, but I do believe at the end of the day, socialism versus capitalism is going to be the big story. You know, Todd, I, I really appreciate what you said there about Bernie Sanders, because that is something that I think... We, as you know, conservatives and, and, and the left needs to acknowledge that Bernie Sanders is authentic. He's been saying the same thing for what eighty years now, right? He's very been very consistent. Well, it was Ninety, but yeah, we'll go with eighty. That's <laughs> he's been, generous. He's been very consistent, and he, and he's authentic. And I and I mean that in the sense, if we do see a matchup between President Donald Trump and Senator Bernie Sanders, I wonder at that point, does Donald Trump have to change his strategy to this to this extent? Trump is authentic. Trump is Trump. He is who he is all the time. And he exposes these politicians for who they are. Liars, crooks, fake, not real people. But Bernie Sanders does come off as real, like you said, perhaps is maybe crazy, but he's real. So how does Donald Trump approach that debate stage knowing that Bernie's also authentic? Because the reality is that Bernie Sanders is a fan of people like Fidel Castro. Bernie Sanders is a guy in reality who vacationed, who honeymooned in the Soviet Union. And I think that reality is going to be very obvious for voters across the country, in especially in places like, for example, South Florida, where you have a lot of um, a lot of families who were impacted by the Castro regime. And just think about this: you've got Democrats right now in South Florida who are freaking out, and they're having to they're having to distance themselves from Bernie Sanders because of his his part, you know, his uh, his policies in regards to, for example, uh, Cuba. So at the end of the day, I think Donald Trump, he still wins He's um, because he is authentic, but his, his policies are resonating with the American people and especially working class voters across all, um, all demographics, all ethnicities. I'm here on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Stefan Kleinhans here, joined by Todd Starnes, a good friend and an expert here on the radio station. Todd, you an know what? Expert. You, an absolute. <laughs> I think compared to me, Todd, you got to be an expert. You should have right? checked my credentials. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be here on ben, uh, Ben's show, The American View, here at CPAC, talking about the 2020 election, looking at the prospects of Trump facing off versus socialism. That's Todd's, Todd's thought here is that we are. It is going to be Trump versus socialism, whoever the candidate is. Now let's have fun, Todd. Let's have some fun. Let's say Bernie goes into the convention with the most delegates. He is the rightful leader and winner of the Democrat primary. But the party doesn't want him at that point. Mm -hmm. This is all hypothetical. The party doesn't want him at that point. What do they do? Do they throw in a Michelle Obama? Do they throw in someone, like you said, that isn't running? What are your thoughts on that? Well, the, the big challenge here is uh, the Bernie bros. Uh, and we have them on video saying, you know what? If, uh, th if Bernie doesn't get the nomination, Milwaukee's going to burn. So um, that is going to be a fascinating subplot to this, this story. I think it very well could be someone like Michelle Obama. Hmm. Um, th that would have to come from the floor of the convention. Um, could be Hillary. You know, she's launching a new podcast. She's sort of like putting herself back out there. So that wow. was the uh, breaking news earlier today. Uh, so now she's getting into the podcast business. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think it's either if, if, if someone jumps into the race, it could be either Michelle Obama or Hillary Clinton. Well, I think that what's, the only thing that's interesting about Michelle Obama in this sense is yeah, certainly she has no experience, but she is one of the most popular people in the Democrat Party right now. So why wasn't she running is kind of the question a lot of people are well, asking. It could be that she just doesn't like politics. I yeah, mean, she's never run it. for political office. So, that, you know, that could, that could be it. And, you know, again, who wants to go through all of that, you know, to be, you know, leader of the free world? But your husband already did it. You already have the name recognition. You already have the fame. Don't you think? 
I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I really do wonder why she didn't put her name in the race. Yeah. I, look, I think, honestly, if you're, if you're, if I was a betting man, I'd put money on Hillary more so than Michelle Obama. That's really interesting. Yeah, so, you're, con- you're convinced that whoever Trump faces, is it a bigger, a bigger margin of victory than last time? Oh, I've been predicting for the past year that Trump is going to win in a landslide. Really? And the campaign told me stop saying that. Don't jinx. Not, but. That, that, yeah, but seriously, I, I, when I, the numbers I'm looking at, he wins in a landslide. That's fascinating. And, and what, Van Jones actually brought up this point before the debate in Nevada, and I thought it was a very interesting point. He said, look at the primary right now. The two people that we're talking about, the two people that really matter at this point in the Democrat primary are Michael Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders, neither of whom are Democrats, are Democrats right? Yep. You have Bernie Sanders, who's an independent, an outright socialist, and Michael Bloomberg, a former Republican, saying, hey, like, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm here too. But how interesting is that to look at the state of the party to see how divided they are and they don't even know what their identity is and they're trying to figure it out with their candidate going into the 2020 election? All right. I, I just want you to think about this. Um, you know, I've been having to watch these Democrat debates. I do that as a public service for our listeners so they don't have to subject their earlobes and eardrums to this. Over the past two debates, we have been hearing the Democrats talking about fat broads horse-faced lesbians, the naked cowboy, and something called dick in a deer stand. I don't have any idea what that means. I don't judge. But what I can tell you is this. At, at some point, I think the American voters would rather get the coronavirus than have to go through another Democrat debate. Wow. It's that, <laughs> it's that painful. That's unfortunate. That's, that's, uh, I don't, I'm doing NyQuil shots yeah. during the, I'm serious, it's bad, man. Yeah. It's bad. So one more question here for you on the debates, and then we'll transition into a, a broader question. But if Trump faces off versus, I don't even think Biden's in the race anymore. I don't think we can say Biden's in the race. So let's say Michael Bloomberg. He as doesn't I'm, even know he's on the stage. He, he doesn't know, know he was in South Carolina. He doesn't know what he's running it, for at this point. No. But but if Trump faces off versus more, a more moderate candidate like Michael Bloomberg, is yeah. that a closer race versus something like a Bernie Sanders versus Trump? No, I don't believe so. I, I, I really don't. Uh, and this is about motivating your base. Mm-hmm. And only Donald Trump can do that. That's fascinating, Todd. Well, I think I'm going to hand it back over to Ben now because this is his show. He let us come on here. He let us have a good time. Are we getting kicked off the I, air? Is unfortunately, that we are. But you know, I'm, we're grateful I'm sorry, for the we got to go to commercial. The the we got to pay the bills. You know? <laughs> Let's blame that on Klobuchar, not Starnes. That was Todd Starnes, though. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you guys. so much. Appreciate you, you know, joining us. Well, I, look, I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing, and the radio station is just awesome. And uh, I am a big fan of uh, Stefan here. He's a uh, he's good guy. He's I a did not. Cool guy. I didn't make him say that either. <laughs> Todd, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your time. All right. Appreciate it. So that was Todd Starnes with Stefan Klein. Hence, you can listen to the full interview if you're just joining us now online, soundcloud.com slash Radio Free Hillsdale. This has been our special edition of American View where Hillsdale meets the nation. And uh, we're going to go to commercial here in just a moment. But when we come back, the former acting attorney general of the United States, Matthew Whitaker, everybody, he's going to be with us here at CPAC. And there's plenty more to come. Matt Schlapp, the head of the ACU, we can expect word from him later on today in the next hour of the show. We also are expecting um, perhaps Donald Trump Jr., we will, we will see about all of that as we continue our coverage here at CPAC 2020. We're coming to you from National Harbor in Maryland. And boy, what a day it's already been. We've already talked with House Minority Leader uh, Kevin McCarthy. What an interview that was. He pledged in that interview to never use impeachment in the same political way that Democrats have. We'll see um, if he gets the chance to run the House. That's what he's hoping. He said he'd like to be Speaker. Uh, You know, frankly, I would like that too. 
but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So we're going to take a quick break here, guys. But at the top of the next hour, we'll be sitting down with the former acting attorney general, Matthew Whitaker. So this has been American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome back to American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. We're here at CPAC 2020. It's been a great show so far. Earlier on the show, we talked with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and now we're sitting down with the former acting, or if yeah, former acting Attorney General Matthew Whitaker. And with us right now, who's going to lead this interview is Alex Nestor. Alex, go ahead and take it away. Well, first of all, thank you, Mr. Whitaker, for joining us today. I'm happy today. to do it, Alex. Yeah, good to see you. Good to see you as well. So, first again. of all, ag- again, <laughs> yes. So, actually, um, for those of you who don't know, um, when I was in D.C. a year ago, I was speechwriting or uh, interning in the speechwriting office. For you were the essentially Department my speechwriter while I was acting. <laughs> let's just let's be honest. Well, no, that was Steve Stafford. I just helped him check facts. And Who's now writing that, for the so. president? I or yeah, or the vice right. president. Yeah, yep, he's, he's over on. Guy. Uh, Mm-hmm. Steve Stafford, he's a wonderful guy. So, uh, first of all, let's talk a little bit about your time. Um, so, you uh, came into the DOJ after Sessions, and then you were there before Barr. Yeah. So, I was I was Sessions' chief of staff, mm-hmm. and then uh, when he resigned, um, the president appointed me the acting attorney general. Until Bill Barr was appointed in February of nineteen. Uh, I don't yes. know. These years are flying <laughs> by. They all mixed together. Yeah. So, um, and you know, it was it was the honor of a lifetime to serve this president, and uh, you know, we we got some really important things done um, while I was there. Uh, you know, we 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 um, our our mission was to reduce crime in America. First, uh, second was to dismantle foreign uh, criminal organizations, and the third task that the president assigned us was to uh, back the blue. To you know, essentially bring back the morale uh, of law enforcement, who under eight years of Obama had suffered uh, for being blamed for all sorts of things, including as we remember Ferguson and and other uh, police-involved shootings. And so, you know, it was really uh, it was an honor of a lifetime. I was proud to serve this president. Uh, I I believe in him. He's a, I call him a friend. Um, and you know, it was uh, it was really it was it was it was a great time. And now I'm back in. In the private sector, and I'm enjoying that equally as well. You're at um, Axios Strategies. Yeah, Axiom Strategies, uh, Cloud Public Affairs, and then I'm also uh, practicing law at uh, Graves Garrett and okay. do a lot of Fox News, as mm-hmm. I'm sure you all see me mm-hmm. on there every once in a while, talking about all sorts of things, Department of Justice, and sometimes I wildly speculate on anything from <laughs> the you know government's ability to uh, quarantine you to mm-hmm. which I was talking about with Neil Cavuto yesterday, uh, and really all things in between. You know, it's. Uh, what, what happens when you practice law for over 25 years? Certainly. So related to, um, as you said, uh, to uh, uh, with coronavirus to uh, in, in China specifically, I remember one of the first um, 
times that I had saw you at the Department of Justice, you gave a press conference on Huawei, uh, the Chinese company that uh, is, is stealing perhaps intellectual property from the United States. So tell me, in, in the past year, how have you seen this um, company uh, perhaps impact our freedoms in the United States? Yeah. Well, if you remember that press conference, it was actually a very important case. Uh, we were announcing a lot of charges against both Huawei, and we had also, um, at the, around that same time, uh, arrested the CFO of mm -hmm. Huawei um, for lying, for essentially lying to banks. <laughs> but, um, you know, the one thing that was remembered out of that press conference is I said the Mueller investigation's almost done, and that, like, <laughs> everybody lost their minds. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Huawei uh, is a real challenge, um, and you, you saw recently where the president has been very critical of Boris Johnson's decision to allow Huawei on the UK's 5 5G, um, essentially backbone for their, um, you know, super fast uh, wireless and, and, and wired technology. And so, you know, as I um, as I think about what Huawei uh, stands for, is really fund fundamentally uh, Chinese companies are really hard to distinguish from their governments. And you know, um, if you you know. I was on a panel earlier this morning in the main room, and what a great crowd, by the way. But uh, one of the things we talked about was this idea that, you know, sort of the government of China uh, is on the TikTok app. And I know mm -hmm. a lot of your listeners and, and friends probably use TikTok and do these little videos where everybody's oh, yeah. making these jerky movements. I, don't, I still don't understand <laughs> it. My daughter, Allison, who's a freshman at the University of Iowa, is here with me this week. And I, I still have to ask her, kind of, I don't understand it. But nonetheless, um, you know, that's 120 million Americans uh, that are, could potentially be surveilled by the Chinese government so because of the because It's, of the it's safe to say you're not getting a, a TikTok account. Any, I don't have soon. TikTok on my phone. <laughs> and, you know, I'm con you know if, if, there's another uh, WeChat is another example mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, the, the, again, the Chinese government is, sits on those platforms and surveils uh, people and transactions. And it's very dangerous. And it's so inconsistent with... Uh, the way we do things here in the United States that uh, I think sometimes we have a hard time even like wrapping our heads around the fact that the government would be watching. If you think about, you know, I mean, you know, Snapchat, imagine if the government was on Snapchat. Imagine if the government was on Venmo. I mean, those are, you know, those are two examples of, of we, we couldn't imagine the federal government surveilling all those transactions and all those interactions. And yet at the same time, that's exactly what the Chinese do. And if, and if, and if Huawei equipment is put on the 5G backbone like the UK proposes, the United States will never allow that. But other countries that were uh, allies Can you believe with could. they did that. I mean, no, I think it's I think it's a really a foolish decision, um, and I think if ultimately it'll be reversed. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. So I know uh, China certainly is a very big threat to American freedom today, but I know another threat that the DOJ was uh, working on combating at least this point in time last year was illegal immigration and trying to curb that. So now we have the issue of um, sanctuary cities and uh, some cities going against the federal government yeah. saying, you know, which, which... Yeah, well, I mean, this is a very important issue. It's something I worked uh, on a lot at the Department of Justice. And, and we just won a big case uh, in the last couple of days where we were withholding um, essentially law enforcement grants from the Department of Justice if you were a sanctuary city mm -hmm. and you didn't cooperate with uh, immigration enforcement. And so, but let me explain what that is. I, you know, I don't think people understand what a sanctuary city truly is. A sanctuary city is where if you have a criminal in your jail, 
we ask you to tell us, if you have an illegal immigrant criminal in your jail, we ask you to tell us before you release them so we can come get them and deport them from our country. And sanctuary cities are saying, no, we're going to allow this previously convicted criminal back into our community, yeah. and ICE then has to go a much more dangerous operation, much more you know labor-intensive to go find these people, if we ever find them, and, and, and remove them. Because once you know if you're an illegal alien and you commit a crime in the United States, uh, you are deportable, and that's the way it should be. I mean, let's think. You know, let's just. I mean, this is this is insanity. To so they're me. not following the federal law. They're not following the federal right. law, and so, so we we, with, we withheld uh, money because we give a lot, you know, ten or twelve billion dollars uh, to state and local uh, governments and police departments and the like. And we said, if you're not going to cooperate with ICE, we're not going to give you money. It seems pretty yeah. straightforward, and we, it was upheld by the second. Circuit. And it's not even that um, there are people in these cities who are, you know, perhaps undocumented and, and, and are working or trying to get there to to become citizens. But these are the people that sanctuary cities protect are the people who are harming Americans. Yeah, or, they're, or, they're the criminals. And listen, we're the most generous country in the world. We admit lawfully one point one million people a year so much more than any other country and there's a process and there's a lawful way to become a citizen of the united states if you want to come here and you know all we should expect is that is that you know we have an immigration system that serves the american interests and the american people's needs and not just so anybody that wants to come here uh can can you know come here without without being subject to deportation so i mean it, it's it's such a common sense issue for me i can i sometimes can't even imagine what the other side thinks and i think ultimately it's for the for the left and for democrats you know they just want to get uh they just want to win elections and do it by any any right. means necessary. so i'm curious about the law aspect of this because you know in places like virginia now we're going to talk to a sheriff leader who is yeah the head i of saw him over there yeah. yeah and he's well known now because he has promised not to enforce any legislation that could take away the guns of the people in his county what do you think about that? It's almost sanctuary cities, but coming from the right. Yeah, well, so the Second Amendment is so important uh, in, uh, to our country's uh, founding, and it's it's such an important right, and, and the left is always trying to infringe it. And you see this happening in Virginia where they're, you know, trying to do all sorts of things uh, to infringe our uh you know our our rights uh, under the Second Amendment. I think we always need to defend that. I think that sheriff is is you know is 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 on the side of 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 the Second Amendment and defending that. Um, at the same time, you know we have to. Um, there's so many things, and I and I worry a little bit. Um, and, and again, I, I know this is a, is popular when you disagree with something. Usually, if you can't get it done at the local level, you go to the state to try to get it done, and then you go to the federal government mm-hmm. if you can't do it at the state level. I think we need to continue to allow the states to have as much power under the Tenth Amendment as you possibly can. Because yeah. remember, if we don't allow the states to regulate the state themselves, issue. they're going to bring it to bring it to the federal government and try to get a one-size-fits-all, top-down approach from Washington D.C. And in, in nowhere, you know, both in firearms and anywhere else, does that system work? So that's a, that's an interesting kind of juxtaposition with, you know, we have sanctuary cities for guns and sanctuary cities for. Um, illegal immigrants but i guess the the underlying the, the base here has to be first and foremost the protection of the rights and freedoms of the american people of the individual i mean that's you know if you think about uh, all of our all of our rights um whether it's the bill of rights and whether it's the you know what our what our founding fathers gave us is to you know essentially protect us from tyranny protect us from government overreach and protect our freedoms uh you know i, I mentioned on the main stage today 
one of the basic tenets of Reagan uh, that he told us, uh, he said it is as true as the sun rising in the east, and that is his government expands, liberty contracts. And we need to always remember that and never forget. It's mm-hmm. wise advice from Matthew Whitaker. Thank you. It's great to see you guys. acting attorney general. Yes. Thank you United for joining States. us. So, like we just said, that was Matthew Whitaker, and that was Alex Nestor interviewing him. Um, really interesting stuff to hear from, from what he has to th- say about China, the threat that they bring. And uh, we look forward to talking, hopefully, with him again sometime. This has been our coverage of CPAC, where Hillsdale meets the nation. Now joining us is Gordon Chang. He's about to sit down with us. He is the expert on all things China. He's been on American View before. Mr. Chang, thanks for coming back on. We're we're so happy to have him. He's just getting his headphones on and and getting ready to join us here. Ready to talk more China. Hello, Gordon Chang. Hello, Hillsdale. Good to have you with us. So, you know, Gordon has been on the show. He actually came on, I think, I don't know if it was a couple months ago or maybe it was last fall, but you were on recently over the phone, so thank you for that. We're glad to talk with you again. Alex is going to be heading up this interview, so I'm going to uh, push it over now to Alex Nestor, who's going to talk to you a little bit about coronavirus and some other stuff. And all things China, really. So actually, I would kind of like to start with, I saw um, you had retweeted yesterday that uh, Jimmy... Uh, Jeremy Lei, the owner of a pro-democracy newspaper in Hong Kong, was arrested yesterday. So what um, does this say, what does this demonstrate about the current situation in Hong Kong right now? Uh, Jimmy Lai and two other veteran democracy advocates in Hong Kong were arrested at the same time. This is a real indication that the Hong Kong government is trying to sweep up every um, person who advocates freedom and democracy. Jimmy is particularly important because he is the publisher of Apple Daily. And Apple Daily is the pro-democracy paper in Hong Kong. It is the one which has survived all this. And so he is extremely important voice for um, people who want to live the life that, uh, on their own without the encroachment from China. And that's why this is important, because the same power that is encroaching on Hong Kong's autonomy, that is imprisoning Jimmy Jimmy Lai and others, is also attacking our democracy. Mm -hmm. So Hong Kong is the front line of freedom. It's the front line of our freedom. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when you say that they are also attacking our freedoms, um, perhaps are you saying through maybe Huawei and other organiza- other other so-called you know businesses, as uh, Matt Whitaker just said, sometimes it's hard to distinguish in China between businesses and government agencies. So is that one way in which they're trying to? Uh, well, Huawei Technologies, which is nominally employee-owned, but is really 99% controlled by the Chinese central government, is one of the ways that Beijing does attack our democracy because Huawei is used by Beijing to steal information from around the world. But it's, of course, a broad-based challenge. Mm-hmm. Got to remember that, Hong, that China's 2017 national intelligence law requires every Chinese individual and every Chinese entity to spy if demanded by Beijing. So Huawei is just one of many of these Chinese um, entities that attacks our democracy. But the most important thing, Alex, is that 
Beijing has been attacking the concept of our democracy. It's, it's not just going after and stealing information here or there um, or criticizing individuals in our society or trying to affect the outcome of elections, which Beijing does, but it's just attacking the whole notion of democratic governance. And they do this virtually every single day. And of course, they've been doing that in connection with the coronavirus epidemic in China because they need someone to blame. And unfortunately, they're trying to blame and lay the groundwork for blaming the U.S. So I was actually just going to bring up coronavirus because I, I wonder, I wonder if you could answer this for me. Do you trust the Chinese government's numbers and statistics that they have given to the United States on coronavirus, on how bad it is? Uh, certainly not recently. Um, you can never trust statistics from the Chinese government on a sensitive matter, but especially over the last um, month or so. And the, and the reason is that Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, wants Chinese workers to go back to their job sites to jumpstart the economy. And so the statistics that are coming out of Beijing right now show that the coronavirus epidemic is subsiding, especially out of, uh, especially outside Wuhan and Hubei province. Mm -hmm. um, and that really is supporting what C wants to do. And so you have to ask the question, are we getting numbers that are doctored um, in order to support Xi Jinping's policies? Just one other point, and that is, China appointed on, announced the appointment of its uh, central leading group on the coronavirus epidemic. This is the, the national task force on the, the outbreak. And on that nine-member leading group, there is only one health official. And her degree, by the way, is I think in mechanics. It's not in public health. Um, the group is heavy with propaganda officials. Um, the vice chairman is the Communist Party's propaganda czar. And the chairman of the group is essentially a political hack. Mm -hmm. So it shows you that Xi Jinping is trying to control the narrative. That's much more important for him than trying to end the outbreak. And the reason is that the Communist Party feels threatened by this. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And in regards to uh, the impact that coronavirus has had on the economy in China and the United States, it's taken quite uh, a hit, hasn't it? Well, I think the Chinese economy is contracting. Um, we see this from a number of statistics. Oil demand is down 20% year on year. Um, car sales for the first uh, 16 days of this month were down 92% from the corresponding period last year. We know that only about a third of China's workers have returned mm -hmm. to their places of employment. And major events like the Canton Fair, which is the premier trade show for China, um, that April session has been canceled. So it's a real indication that the Chinese economy is, is now in a point where it's just getting smaller. Mm -hmm. Do you think America's dependence on Chinese goods could exacerbate the problem of coronavirus? That's a real possibility. There's a lot that we don't know about COVID-19, which is the coronavirus mm -hmm. designation. Um, but we had uh, yesterday the announcement of a case in California um, of a person who had no epidemiological link to any other case. And that means she, that he or she may have gotten that from uh, the virus that had lived on an inanimate surface, mm -hmm. which means if you open up a toy from Hong Kong, that could be a disease carrier. We don't know, um, but the China, one thing we do know, Alex, and that is the Chinese government, the Communist Party, has done its best to prevent the international community from investigating the source of the outbreak, and that means that we just have to assume the worst, unfortunately. 
So, so with some of the misinformation or just lack of information from China, do you think that the American government or the American people should stop buying goods from China? Should we, should we really curb our trade at least until we know how bad the situation is? Oh, absolutely. Because we've seen what coronavirus can do to a society. It's not just China. It's also South Korea, Iran, Italy. It has shut down those countries. And the one important thing that President Trump did was at the end of January, he restricted travel, he put people in quarantines, and that's the reason why we do not have an emergency today. The president took a lot of heat from China for doing that, but that was absolutely the right move. And unfortunately, we're going to have to take even more restrictive measures until we can get this under control. So after um, Trump's press conference on Wednesday night, um, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi called his response anemic. Do you think the president is doing enough? Is there more that he can do? Well, I think that, you know, probably there is more that can be done, but that what we've seen from the administration is rapid action. And so I think that is important indication that the administration has handled this well. Are we going to have to handle this better in the future? Probably we will, because a lot of what we've seen in other countries shows how fast this virus can spread. But I think that the American people need to stand behind their president right now because this bug attacks all of us. Now, Mr. Cheng, there's another uh, problem in China that I would like to address with you briefly because I don't think it's something that a lot of people are talking about. And this is the detaining of Uyghur um, people in the western part of the country. So why has the Chinese government started to round up these individuals? Well, Beijing has been attacking the Uyghurs and the Kazakhs, who are, are Muslims, in the northwestern part of their country, um, what the Chinese call Xinjiang, and what the Uyghurs call East Turkestan, um, because they believe that uh, they, were, they are conquered people and they want their own freedom and independence. Beijing has two things going on here. One of them is a general attack on religion throughout China. So it's not just um, Islam, it's also Christianity and even Buddhism. Buddhism is, is generally thought to be a homegrown religion in China, um, but they're going after the Buddhists as well. So there's that. But also because um, Beijing has a racist hand nationalist policy, it's the idea is to assimilate everybody. And so therefore, um, Beijing is committing crimes against humanity against the Uyghurs, against the Kazakhs in um, what they call Xinjiang. And this is something that, that we can't, this is, this is close to what the Third Reich did before the mass exterminations. People are dying in those camps. We know that because they're building crematoria. This has to stop and the world has to stop them. Well, Mr. Chang, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks, Alex. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 WRFH. This is our CPAC 2020 coverage. And as we close out here, we will be back in a couple minutes. That was just Gordon Chang. And what a startling message he had for us there. Um, you know, close to the Nazi Reich and what they were doing. China is a real threat. And Gordon Chang has a lot to say about it. You can listen to that full interview online at soundcloud.com slash Radio Free Hillsdale. We'll have more interviews as we come. We're hoping, like I said, to possibly talk to Donald Trump Jr. in the next segment. Um, we could also be talking to some other people. We will see um, all just shortly. This has been American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation.
Welcome back to our CPAC 2020 coverage. This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Ben Dietrich. And I'm Alex Nestor. And we're so glad to be with you for the last half of our um, coverage here at CPAC today. You can listen to all the interviews online at soundcloud.com slash Radio Free Hillsdale. With us right now is the man himself, James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. Uh, thank you for joining us. Great to be with you. I was in Connecticut watching Larry Arn speak, and I said hello. So it's nice to be here on the show with you guys. Great. So let's get right into it. Um, there was a story um, just a few days ago about David Wright from ABC, and he was secretly recorded um, by by you. And um, he was recorded saying that he himself is a socialist and that ABC doesn't report um, good things that Trump does. So... Where did Project Veritas get the idea to talk to this man? Well, it's not that we find these people. These people sort of find us. Mm -hmm. Like, the stories come to us, especially... I'm wearing a hat. I know I'm on the radio, but it says Epstein cover-up. This insider inside ABC News came to us. I asked him, why Project Veritas? He said, because I can't trust the Washington Post. I can't trust the New York Times. Those people would sell me out in a heartbeat. <laughs> they, they certainly wouldn't tell my story. And, and they were frustrated by what they perceived to be the media's corruption, and they're, they're unwilling to report the news. So we're in a bar in New Hampshire following up on this Jeffrey Epstein story that ABC spiked, and we get in front of a veteran news correspondent, David Wright. No shrinking violet. He's an how, Oxford how educator. We, we are very good at what we do, <laughs> and we can't reveal all of our sources. Uh. But we, we get this guy, and he's, and he's talking honestly in a very honest way. No, nothing would surprise the Hillsdale mm -hmm. people, but he says the media is broken. Our bosses don't see an upside in reporting news. Disney Corporation puts pressure on us to sell comic book characters. Mm -hmm. We're not doing the news. And he's a socialist. He says, I'm a socialist, but he also says, we don't give Trump enough credit. So I actually don't think there's a problem with the guy being a socialist, as long as he doesn't let that get in the way of his news. ABC suspends him, and now this thing is blown up. Everyone's talking about it, and uh, that's what happened this week. So what does this incident show about the state of t today's media? It, the media is utterly broken, and they're not willing to practice introspection. They're, they're, they're be they've become digital, woke, clickbait. They've become everything they project onto the people here at this conference. They're worse than that because they claim neutrality. Democracy dies in darkness. The oh. truth is more important than ever. It's not about democracy or truth. It's about, like, Bezos bought the Washington Post. Right. Turned it into a clickbait See, blog. for me, I'm, I'm not as offended by the, the groups that are very open about their bias, you know, when they are openly a conservative magazine or something like that. But CNN, some of the work you did on CNN, we actually talked about it, played some of your videos on our show. Uh, when you exposed inside CNN, I think it's the CEO or the president. The, the uh, Jeff Zucker. Yeah, Zucker. And Patrick Davis, the managing Tell us director. Tell that a bit. That was insane. The managing director. Because used to be relatively you know, unbiased or claimed to be, and they've gone off the deep end. Patrick Davis, just like David Wright, was caught on the camera, and that n these are not villains. These are good people caught up in the vortex of propaganda that manufactures the public's consent, and they're part of this industrial system of production. Patrick Davis says to us, he goes, "I we could be so much better than we are at CNN. He says, I hate what we've become. This is the guy who, like, manages the field operations at CNN. And David Wright's an Oxford-educated veteran news correspondent, and he says, we don't care about the voters. D uh, Andy Fies on the tape says, quote, F it. I mean, we could just cross the Hudson River and actually talk to people out of New York City, but we don't care about that. And, and these people are lamenting the yeah. press. And by the way, I'm attacked. I'm attacked for reporting this. 
But I believe that the press has more power than the, than the three branches of government. Therefore, I have an obligation to report it. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you, too, as you're exposing people and as people are attacking you. Um, do you think that after, you know, people recognize you and your group's work, are people more leery to talk to you or how? Well, they don't know that they're being recorded. Mm -hmm. Are people more, I think people are more leery of being caught. Mm -hmm. And, and, and what they need to do is, like, reform the system. And, and the way it works is that the media will not reform itself. It will just... Per, per, they're, they're upset that we published the information. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's what... And they're, and they're spinning it right now saying, this guy has a right to be a socialist. Give me a break. Look at all the other comments he made. You're not talking about when he says, we don't give Trump enough credit. And, and the media probably doesn't. And he's honest about it. And the guy's a socialist admitting it. So what the media does is that they try to spin it, obfuscate it, use hyperbole. The Washington Post uh, has a headline out yesterday where it says, James O'Keefe's scam. Scam. What's the scam? I published what the guy said. I think it's a scam that you would use a headline calling it a scam. Yeah. The New York Times I mean, said I operate in bad faith. How do you know what my motivations are? Why would you ascribe motive to me, New York Times? That's the, precisely the type of bad faith that you claim I'm operating in. It could. I, I was shocked by the point. You know, the, one of the things you talked about in your reporting was how Kellyanne Conway. She'd go on with Anderson Cooper or other people, and the people would be telling the, the reporter in his ear, you know, just keep going, keep, keep going, going, keep we going. Gotta keep going. We, yeah, gotta we gotta get her. We gotta get her. The, the Jeff Zucker's on the hidden camera. If you haven't seen the tape, where he goes, impeachment is the only thing that matters. Nothing else matters. Don't talk about any other stories. Can you imagine if Fox News president was caught on tape saying, "Don't talk about impeachment"? There'd be like riot. They, they would lose their broadcast license. So it's a, it's a, listen, there has to be a reckoning. And the only way for that to happen is for people on the inside of these places to come to projectveritas.com slash brave and say, hey, give me one of those cameras. I'm going to record my colleagues. Mm -hmm. So tell me some of the stories that you think have been covered up um, or, or not reported, like the Epstein cover-up story. Well, that was the tape in uh, November when... Amy Robach was caught. We did this story. Mm -hmm. It was caught, the insider recorded it. It was caught on a hot mic. She was on a commercial break, and she says into the microphone, uh, "They squashed my story on Jeffrey Epstein to protect the Clintons and the royal family." So ABC cared more about access to the royal, you know, Kate and Will. I don't know what these people's names. They're the vapid <laughs> names, Kate and oh, Will. They want to protect the royal. Their access to English English gossip, rather than report. And then they say, and then Amy Robach says publicly, because she didn't have the stones to stand behind her off the record remarks, that she says, she goes, well, you know, we didn't meet our standards for air. So some attorney, they, they wrote the statement, they put a gun to her head and gave her whatever millions of dollars and said, read this lawyerly statement, instead of having the balls or the courage, excuse me, to come out, <laughs> to come out <laughs> college radio here, James. I'm sorry about that. Clean. I mean, you know, that's the truth. <laughs> you know, it just... It shocks me. I mean, I thought we left the aristocracy for a reason back in Britain. And you bring that up as just, you know, a specific example of media bias. But really, these guys are in a certain sense type of aristocracy. It's the media, the left elite, the media, and they think they can do whatever the heck they want. Well, we live in a country that places a profound importance upon the First Amendment. This is like Hillsdale College here. Mm -hmm. You guys talk about this every day. A profound importance on the First And the First Amendment is not just about rights. It's about duties. It's about your obligation to tell the truth. And in this country where we place such a profound importance on the First Amendment, where to, for citizens to exercise their rights and their duties, they need to be informed. Who is going to inform them? The same 
suburban people in the, in the morning dropping their kids off to school watching Good Morning America selling Disney products, who is going to inform them? The people at this conference, are you're very politically attuned. Most people don't care. Most people don't pay attention. And the, the, the news companies that are supposed to be informing us, all of their news people are saying, we're a joke, okay? And I'm being attacked by the press corps for reporting that information. I think people are starting to wake up, and maybe that means they're more skeptical of what they read, which is a good thing. How, how do you balance privacy with telling the truth? And a, this, the, truth the founders out. of this country reckoned with that, and they created the First Amendment. If you want to live in another country which doesn't place a profound importance on the public's right to know, then privacy is more of an issue. But in this country, we always balance. It's a, it's a competition are there between a, the public's right to know and this, the lengths or the steps it takes to inform the public. I actually believe that the, the fourth estate, like in, invest, like using hidden cameras on journalists, yeah. is more important than using hidden cameras on government because government's power is downstream from the presses informing the citizens. And Solzhenitsyn, the Soviet dissident, actually said this in his Harvard address. He said, really? the press has more power than all three branches of government, but none of the responsibilities. And that is very scary to me. Well, we love Solzhenitsyn at Hillsdale. He's in Primus, so you, you know your stuff. You know, I, I agree with that. I guess for me, I just still wonder, though, is there anything, any private conversations that need to be left Not private? when one party is consenting. So that, this is a very interesting, you know, Philip Meyer wrote a book called Ethical Journalism, and in this book it says that, you know, one party consent recording, like let's say uh, the guy's in a bar and he's talking to five people. If that guy knows he's talking to a stranger and he's saying these things that are, like, profoundly important for the public to know, I don't, I don't understand why it's wrong to audio record that, but it's not wrong to take your yellow notebook and from memory write down what he said and put that in an on-background quote in the Washington Post. If it's ethical for Bob Woodward to interview people anonymously and then expect us to trust that he got the quotes right, why would society expect more reasonable expectation of privacy where you're using audio? So I think that as long as one party is consenting, in other words, as long as you're talking to a stranger, you have no reasonable expectation of privacy that your comments won't be put on blast. And again, it's, it's always a situational thing. I mean, I, I think whenever you're, no one likes to be recorded, but in this country we place a profound importance on the First Amendment. I actually don't think we place a profound importance on the First Amendment anymore, which is why I'm being attacked by my own press corps. I don't understand it. We're on the same team, guys. We both believe in the public's right to know. Oh, that's right. It's not about the public's right to know, is it? It's about politics. It's about politics. Do you think that overall pe uh, people in, in, in society have become more skeptical of media or more trusting of uh, media recently? That's a very good question. I'm not a pollster, but I mm -hmm. believe that it's probably, it's probably both. It's probably uh, half the people have become more skeptical and half the people are like, democracy we, dies in darkness. Yeah. So it's a difficult Hey, thing. James, thank you so much. Thank it's you. been a pleasure having you on. James O'Keefe, everybody. Hope, hope to speak at Hillsdale soon. Sounds good. We'd love to have you. Bye-bye. That was James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. You can check out his website. Um, he's got some great stuff on there. We love to talk about it on the show. Thank you very much. And uh, we wish him all the best. So we're moving forward now. This is our coverage of CPAC. We're going to be going soon. we still got some time, though, with you right now. And, you know, if you want to listen more to our show or to these great interviews we're getting, you can go online to soundcloud.com slash Radio Free Hillsdale. Please share the interviews you like. You know, earlier today we spoke with um, Minority Leader McCarthy, 
and uh, it's it, it was really it was really great. Um, and so you know we're gonna pose for some pictures here as well. You know you're getting all the action as it happens. I guess it's just gonna be <laughs> Alex and uh, Alex and James here. But you know it's it's been a, a great a great weekend so far, and so many interview, interviews. Uh, Kevin McCarthy in particular, that's one you're going to want to check out online. So please, please be sure to check that one out. Moving forward, though, later today, we think we're going to hear from Matt Schlapp as the day continues. That should be really exciting. We might hear from some of the, the first family. And um, we're going to hear from some Hillsdale alums as well. Uh, it, it really has been interesting. What did you think of James? Alex? Oh, I thought that was awesome. I love his energy and his spunk, and I think he's doing very important work in uh, you know exposing some of these journalists because, like he said, I think that's a very important point. You know, we often like to, as journalists, myself included, like to expose the bad things that the government is doing. However, some reporters, when they have their own biases, like he said, you know, are, are, are more, much more powerful and in, influential on the American people. So they, too, should be exposed, their biases. So yeah, very important work he's doing. You know, it's, it's people like that. I, I think it's really interesting because they're controversial, as he said, you know, mm -hmm. the Washington Post or whoever calls his stuff a scam, you know. Um, I don't know what I think completely about the idea that you're recording people without them knowing. I don't know if I always think that's a great thing to start in our society, but hey, uh, he's doing good work and, 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 you know, in a lot of ways he is exposing the truth. So the product, right. I think a lot of it has been helpful. That's right. why we share it on the show because it is valuable and it is worth talking about. I think the ends are important. And of course, at Hillsdale, we always, we always know and we always say that, uh, you know, the means don't justify the ends. So you have to have the right way of going about doing these things in order to achieve your um, desired end. So yes, I do think there's a legal and moral question of, um, you know, recording people. Uh, so yeah, I, I completely yeah. agree. You know, Moving forward today, I'm pretty excited. I don't know about you, but, you know. Oh, I'm very excited. Getting to hear President Trump speak tomorrow. I guess mm -hmm. you got to go back to Hillsdale, but I, I get to stick around and you can watch I'll be online. here. Are I'll be, be here Saturday. You will? I okay. won't. Mr. Bertram's shaking his He's head. Shaking. <laughs> I won't be here Saturday. <laughs> you got to go back to Hillsdale. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when he speaks last year, they had a video. Uh, fight on was the, the theme of that video, which is funny. Who said that today? Somebody said fight on today. Oh, Someone did say that today. It We've was, already uh, spoken with so many it people. Was, it was. Uh, Let me take a look at my notes. <laughs> Who was it? I wrote but it down. It's, it's a great quote from that, that has been promoted in Hillsdale or in, at CPAC. And last year at CPAC, that was part of the theme, Fight On. Mm -hmm. And they, that was right when AOC and all those people had kind of come into Congress. It was 2019, you know, the first year of, of their congressional time. And, and the, those guys... We're really, we were starting to see the rise of the far left in the Democratic Party. Now, one year later, we've seen that rise expand even more so. Even more so. And um, it's interesting to see where we, we've come from. And, it, and as we're moving forward, I thought it would be fun to kind of share some of that video from, from back then. Because that video was, was really quite impressive. It had a lot of clips of AOC, and they, it got the crowd really rallied up. I loved it. I might have even shared it on this show, American View, last year. And you can check that out online. I'm excited to see the video this year. Um, you know, I, 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 it's funny. People uh, don't like CPAC sometimes because they think it, 
it makes us too much into some sort of like conservative fan club. But uh, I think it's I think it's really good to energize the base like this. I think think conservatives need this. What what's wrong with a conservative fan club? (laughs) I I don't see anything wrong there. (laughs) Well, you're the opinions editor at the Collegian. You know, you get you get all these opinions about people who don't appreciate um, the value of CPAC, and I, I I I just don't think that they embrace the fact that you know if you're going to be successful with your ends it you need things like this to get people energized mm-hmm. you know you need these conversations to be had and uh if you know i i, I think that president trump if if Matchlap wants to endorse president trump it, it's in his right to do so he is the leader of conservatism in america today whether people like it or not. That's right. And uh, I actually, there was a piece that I ran in the Collegian a few weeks ago about Matt Schlepp um, uh, disinviting Mitt Romney from attending the yeah. event. Um, so, yeah, you've got a lot of different opinions about uh We haven't CPAC heard much about that. We haven't yeah. heard much about Mitt. I guess this year is particularly relevant. Um, you know, the thing about Mitt Romney, uh, he just... I don't agree with the way in which... I don't agree with his principles, I guess you could say. I don't think he is prudent in Mm. the good sense. I don't think he understands how to be prudent. Because I don't think anybody who is prudent would have voted to impeach Donald Trump. But that's... That's my opinion. Right. And I don't and I say that in the most respectful way for the man. I, you know, I have nothing sure. terrible to say about him. Um, but, you know, I just firmly disagree with how he's conducted himself in Congress. Yeah. And I don't necessarily disagree with the choice he made to vote in favor of the uh, article of impeachment. However, I disagree with his motives for doing so. He knew that it wasn't going to... Uh, he, he knew Trump wasn't going to be actually removed from office. So why is he... Uh, continuing, you know, yeah. why did he have to go through and, and continue that long, so, drawn-out, painful process of impeachment? Yeah. So now I would like to share a little bit of the video last year we were talking about earlier. You're listening to American View, our special election coverage, or not election, I'm sorry, a special <laughs> CPAC coverage here coming from National Harbor, just outside Washington, D.C., um, and our full coverage is available online. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Ben underscore D-I-E-T-D. And Alex Nestor, 2020. So here's the video from last year, Fight On. 40 years ago, he fought for us. That's the title we're about to see. We're about to hear Ronald Reagan and then hear all the Democrats do crazy things. you gotta, you got to love the pep rally. I want you to get a sense of it. <laughs> you know, someone very profoundly once said many years ago that if fascism ever comes to America, it'll come in the name of, li- of liberalism. And what is fascism? Fascism is private ownership, private enterprise, but total government control and regulation. Well, isn't this the liberal philosophy? The conservative, so-called, is the one that says, less government, get off my back, get out of my pocket, and let me have more control of my own destiny. And now the fight is ours. Their 2020 platform sounds identical to policies already tried and now failing in the collapsed socialist state of Venezuela. You know, it's funny, sometimes American journalists talk about... There's the breadline comment. (laughs) That's a good thing. Breadlines are a good thing. I believe it will totally eliminate private insurance. So for people out there who like their insurance, they don't get to keep it. Let's eliminate all of that. Let's move on. Abolish ICE. It's a growing call from Democrats to get rid of the agency that arrests and removes illegal immigrants in the U.S. I I think we should get rid of ICE. We need to probably think about starting from scratch. Why is it good for us to pay for the health care bills of people who snuck in here against our law? 
It's good for people. Beto, remember that guy? He's gone. Contributing to this country's success. Does also apply to I don't know gang members or vagrants. I think they were covered too, weren't they? All right. <laughs> you get the idea. You know, I love to watch that because that's from last year. You get to see how far we've come, and how you know people wondered, was that just if the that that you know bubbling of extreme leftism was that here to stay? A year later, it's stronger than ever on the left, but at the same time, the Democrats might be weaker than they have been in quite some time. Certainly the divided. Certainly divided. The president is doing extremely well. He is uh, rolling off a very strong economy, minus the small maybe humps we've seen since coronavirus outbreak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's been crazy just to see where we've come from. So there's more to come. The best is yet to come. We got more interviews coming this entire weekend. So if you're listening to us from Hillsdale, thank you so much for listening to our coverage from CPAC on the radio here. This whole thing's available online, but you can also you can also find us um, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, SoundCloud, all Radio Free Hillsdale. We've got tons of interviews coming. We got more to come from America's leading congressmen, senators, um, perhaps the first family members of the administration, uh, and a lot of cool spokesmen, authors, reporters. And we're talking about what's at stake here in America today and what is in the hand, what is in for the future of conservatism in this country. Um, so thank you. I'm Ben Dietrich. And I'm Alex Nestor. This has been our special edition of American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Please stay with us online and have yourself a great day. Thank you.